Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. Uh, this is Dan Panetti. I've got a good friend, um, kind of a new friend, right? I guess about sure. the last year. That's right. Um, our, um, our families have gotten uh, put together um, because we're the, uh, we're the old married couple um, and you're the young married families class. So right. um, our church has kind of put our lives together. And so uh, Will May is here. Uh, Will, kind of say hi to everybody. Sure, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. And we, we decided um, as we talked about what, What's Will's kind of uh, wheelhouse, um, his experience, his background, and what would he like to share um, just kind of with young men? Uh, the first thing that came to your mind was the issue of work. That's right. Uh, and kind of the idea of a work ethic, how do you develop it, what does it look like in today's world? Um, and, and from a biblical standpoint too, right, how do we um, understand the importance of work, right, as we go out into the world? And, and the issue of work, it, it definitely is changing. Uh, it's different than our probably our grandparents' generation, um, our parents' generation, right? Even you and I are probably a little bit different mm-hmm. gener- generation. <laughs> but it, it is it's changing a little bit, and so we kind of want to wrestle with that a little bit uh, as well, and and uh, and you know help uh, young men kind of understand the importance and the role sure. of work in their life. So tell us a little bit about your background, work experience, and kind of what brought you to that as being an issue that's important to you. Sure. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Dan. It's uh, it's interesting. And uh, the Bible, of course, says that in all work there is profit, but yeah. mere talk leads only to poverty. We're just talking right now, so hopefully no poverty is coming <laughs> upon us. But we're talking about work. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Hopefully you're working out while you're listening to this correct. and, you, you know, kind correct. of doing a couple things yeah, at the same time. Yeah, we're multitasking at work. Multitasking at work. Right. I love it. So, yes. Well, I, um, yeah, I, I'll give you just a quick background on me. So, um, live in North Texas and uh, went to Baylor University, and then I, I started my career in technology sales. Okay. And um, working for California-based companies in the tech... The tech field mm-hmm. isn't the most obvious choice for a Bible-believing boy from Texas, but um, the Lord ordained that, and I found my way there through some great mentors, and it is a phenomenal field. So basically the past 10 to 12 years of my life have been spent working for high-technology companies in sales capacity roles, and then most, um, yeah, about eight years ago I moved into people leadership, and now I lead an organization of about 200 people across um all over the world. And so, yeah, whenever whenever I listen to Training for Manhood, I love hearing different people come on and encourage me and give advice. And I thought this would be maybe a platform that I could do that through the lens of work, which has a lot of different facets to it. It right? does, it does. Um, and I think that if you think about, yeah, like you were saying, our, our parents' generation, I think work was a much more automatic, intrinsic value, this, this you know need to go out and produce and provide as a man. Yep. And I think as um, as we've moved into whatever you want to call it, right? I've heard it called the uh, participation trophy culture, or the um, politically correct culture. That notion of earning everything and working hard and and glorifying the Lord through your work, I think, is not as pronounced as what it once was. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, so there's several things that we can unpack as it relates. So to. start with um, you know young Will, yes. right? You know uh, sure. little little William. <laughs> sure. Where did you learn the importance of a work ethic? Yeah. Right? Did you learn it at home? Did you mm-hmm. learn it at school? Did you learn it through coaches? Right? Mm-hmm. Was it a combination of all that? Yeah, it's a combination of all. I mean, I was uh, I was very fortunate to have amazing parents that modeled work ethic for me in an appropriate way. Yep. You know, my dad. Um, wonderful man and tons of things that I, that I could say about him. But fundamentally, the thing that he taught me was the value of hard work mm-hmm. and the value of being responsible. Those were the two buzzwords that over and over in our house that he pressed into me. Yeah, I think, you know, my mom who stayed home, I saw the value of seeing her take care of the house, take care of our family and her work ethic. So I saw two different, you know, very different styles of work ethic. Yep. So that's where it gets modeled. I'm I'm wired naturally, I think, as a as an achiever and as a competitor. So I played sports all growing up. My older sister was incredibly smart and was valedictorian, so I kind of had to do a lot to keep up with her. Yeah. And so yeah, I had a, a myriad of of resources just uh, in in my home that I think pointed me towards the value of work. But I still went through the maturity that that young men go through of trying to figure out what is it that I want to do with my life. How do I then you know take the God given gifts and apply them apply them appropriately. And um, I, I, I now have been, yeah, in, in a field where I feel like those gifts are being utilized. And you and I, we haven't talked about this, but one of your podcast guests, you know, talked about the phrase of doing what you like, doing what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, some elements of that, of course, that are very true, but there's some elements of that to that that are, that are hard. You know, you and I were just joking that, you know, ultimately work is something that somebody else is paying you to do. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason for that. There are days you are right? working. <laughs> yes, yes. And the phrase working for the weekend, whatever yeah. you want to phrase it. But yeah. you have to be able to find some level of joy and some level of satisfaction in what you do. And um, now, of course, as a as a married man with three kids, mm-hmm. my job is to provide for my family. Right. And that is one of the biggest motivators for my work. Um, and then we could talk, you know, here shortly about kind of the Christian perspective of work and how that opens up a platform for witnessing, a platform for encouraging other believers and being able to be generous, yep. et cetera. Yeah. Well, I like I like that you put, um, you know, you saw both your mom and your dad work, Correct. right? So the idea of work isn't just what's being produced, right, outside the home mm-hmm. at a particular company. Work is work, yeah. right? Whether I'm working in the backyard, yes. whether I'm, you know, mowing the lawn, whether I'm working doing laundry, whether I'm working taking care of the kids. I mean, work is work. And I think if you have a a strong work ethic that you understand um, that as things need to be done, right, the the word that your dad used, responsibility, right, that you have a particular responsibility as opposed to looking to other people. And I I think this is my big thing, noticing it um, from talking to young people um, is so often they're looking for other people to do things for them as opposed to, right, it, hey, it's my responsibility. So we, we started right. with, you know, the sock, you know, you know, you know, concept is when I walk into a room and I see something that needs to be done, am I looking to say, okay, so who's, who's supposed to Absolutely. do that? Or do I say, hey, it's something that needs to be done, so I do it, and I develop, in, the, in a sense, kind of that, that work ethic mm-hmm. um, that I can work no matter what I'm doing. So whether it's for a company, whether it's at home, right, whether it's, you know, helping a friend move and I'm not getting paid, I mean, just, Right. When I say I'm going to show up and I'm going to work, right, I'm going to work and I'm going to work hard. One of the things you mentioned, too, and you put this, we kind of put some show notes together, right, the whole idea of um, what's my concept of work, Mm. right, and, you know, the verse in Colossians when it talks about, you know, working as unto the Lord, right, and you work heartily. So when I show up for work, wherever it's going to be, um, do I work hard or 
do I work hard only if there's like that particular extrinsic motivation? That's right. Do I work hard if I'm getting paid? Do I work hard if the boss is looking? Do I work hard if I'm, you know, um, you know, it's like, you know, do I play hard during the game or do I actually practice hard to get ready for it? That's right. So you'll see that that mentality, right, in a young person being developed. And mm -hmm. I think that's a great question to ask is, you know, what really is your motivation? Mm. Um, and if that motivation isn't there, do you still work hard? Yeah. So if it's an external Absolutely. motivation, it may not be there all the time. If yeah. it's an internal motivation, it goes with me wherever I it's go. A, it's, a, it's a really great point. And, and obviously you go through seasons of life where, you know, the rewards of what you've sowed mm -hmm. are readily available, and that's incredibly motivating Which in the short term, right? Yep. right? But sometimes uh, they're not. <laughs> but sometimes it's not, right? And, and you know, not to go too, too deep on the theolog theological side, but we've talked about this in our class, you know, there's this notion of God being fully sovereign and fully in control, and then there's also this clear biblical evidence for we are to be responsible and yep. to work and to, to believe today is the day of salvation, to work hardly for the Lord. Yep. It's not like... Jesus came and created a welfare state whenever he did the five loaves and two fish, we still have to go work. Right. And Paul talks about right. that with First Thessalonians. So yep. I think that, yeah, intrinsic motivation and then coupling that with discipline is ultimately the foundation of what work looks like. And I believe as a believer in Christ, your, your motivation should be to glorify the Lord with your gifts. It should be to use it as a platform for your witness. And then it ultimately should be to ask the question of what can I do to, to, to earn or to develop money, skills, expertise, time to be able to invest it in kingdom-minded work. Yep. And I think that, you know, that took me a while to, to really, I think, find that right level of balance because sometimes you, you feel, man, I wish that I was in a vocational ministry. I wish that I felt called to that or I wish that I had more time to dedicate towards my life group to be able to prepare and really pour in. And I've got a very demanding job. But the Lord, just even this week, um, I, I met with a potential person that we're interviewing, mm -hmm. and I was able to share the gospel with them and talk about, like, where does my work motivation come from? So just that right there, yep. that's a Lord-ordained thing that he's using me at work for. And then I met another person for the first time that works in my team that just started, and they're in Canada, and they said, hey, I heard you're a believer, mm -hmm. and that's really encouraging to me. And he was talking about something he was going through, and we were talking about how to make godly decisions. And so it's funny, you know, because that great commission – uh, in, in Matthew 28, you know, is, is go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right. And really, if you break down, you know, the text fully, it's more of a of an emphasis on making disciples, less on going. Yeah. And so you could read it as as you go, as make you go, disciples wherever you are. And so, you know, you've got your roles. I've got my role. We've got you know people that the Lord needs in every industry and in every level of an organization to work hard to glorify Him. And uh, I think once you click into that motivation, then I think that that becomes your identity. And this is another point that we, we, we talked about briefly, but so many people try and have their identity in work. Mm. And as a man, your identity does not come from what you can produce. Right. Your identity should come from who the Lord's created you and, and what he's called you to. And um, especially in work seasons, there's so many ups and downs, but finding that ability to you know, use your your calling as a as a believer to glorify him and then to work hard to to glorify him is, is ultimately our calling. Yeah. So what kind of things are you looking for um, as you're yeah. hiring people? I think this would be kind mm -hmm. of a good practical mm -hmm. uh, jumping off point, right? As you're talking about, you know, young men and they're and they're going into the workforce. Um, as you've worked with a bunch of different people and now that you're hiring people and yeah. you're saying, you know, what makes a person successful? What are the kind of things that you're looking sure. for that a young man 
right, walking into your office and saying, hey, I want you to hire me, what, what are things you're looking for for him to be able to, you know, to show it's a you? Great, it's a great question. Yeah, and uh, again, my dad, uh, who also is in the business world, has a funny quote. He says, nobody ever looks better than the day that you hire them. Amen. So uh, I don't know if that's the, the pessimism of my father, but, uh, but uh, ultimately what that's we typically funny. talk about is this framework that we call ICE. Okay. Intelligence, yep. character, okay. coachability, and experience. And keep in mind, I'm largely hiring people into large technology organizations and largely in sales and go-to-market capabilities. And so intelligence and character are not (laughs) the the normal things that you look for in a sales rep. Okay. Um, So it's kind of a little interesting and unique, and I feel like that's a formula that's worked. I've been a part of hiring probably two to 300 people over the past five to seven years. And the, the reason why that framework is so important is because intelligence and character are two things that you're not going to get that much more of at this stage of your life. If you've graduated, if you're working full-time, those two things you got through nature, through nurture, through who you are, through yeah. your life experience to that point. Yeah. yeah, of course, you can continue to improve. So how do you, how do you look for oh, intelligence and character? Question. That, it, that's it, what I'm, I'm kind of wondering because I, I know there's yeah. somebody out there going, is he looking at my GPA in that's college? Right. Is, that, right. is that what you're looking at? What, Occasionally. What are you looking for? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways to do it. So the first is how do you define intelligence? Yeah. And uh, for me, what I would say that intelligence is is a combination of IQ, EQ, and curiosity. I like it. So one of the best things that you can do to test intelligence is to pay attention to how they ask questions in an interview and what questions they do ask. If you see their line of thinking is things that are mature, that's not things that they could have found out without ever talking to you. Yeah. It's like, okay, this, this kid, this person gets it, right? Yeah. Um, the IQ and EQ stuff, you know, you, sometimes it's as simple as if you take somebody to breakfast, you see how they treat the waiter. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's the notion of, yeah, like can they click on, on advanced concepts? Can they take complex concepts and make them simple? Yeah. So that, that's two things that okay. we look for okay. for sure. Okay, so the, the whole asking questions. Yes. We need to do a whole nother episode, mm-hmm. okay? Because I've, I've been saying this ever since I was probably in high school. I think the sign of intelligence is the ability to ask a good question. Wonderful. Okay, so yes. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing thing, right? Oh, and yeah. I, I don't, I don't think the, we teach people how to do that. Oh, yeah. Because usually when we're, when we're transferring information, right, and I work at a school, so I understand, when I'm transferring information, right, from, you know, the person who has it to the person who doesn't, mm. it's usually kind of a, you know, an information dump. Yep. Right? Here's the information, and then you take the information, right, and I test you on whether you've received the information. But I don't really know if you understand it. Sure. Right, and that's one of the things. It's like you know, ask ask a question. Absolutely. Right. I, it's you know, amazing. I used to I used to take kids off campus all the time to go hear a speaker. And at the end, when a speaker says, "Does anybody have any questions?" You'll notice that you know, for the most part, people kind of like, eh. Oh yeah. Or, right, people will ask dumb questions. Yeah. Right. And I'm one of the people when when people say there are no dumb questions, I'm so always I've, like, I've lived through yeah, pretty like, dumb questions. Yes, there are yeah. dumb questions. Yes, there are questions right. that do not relate to what you just said, and they do, <laughs> and they don't help advance. That's right. The, you know, the learning process. Oh, yeah. And so one of my one of my things that I do at school when people ask me, you know, hey, what do you do at the school? Right. And I'm like, okay, here's it may sound weird, but I train kids to listen well enough that they can ask an intelligent question wow. at the end of something. Right. So a, a chapel speaker meeting somebody, whatever it is. Right. If I said go up and ask a question, right? They they should be like, okay. So I need to listen. I need yes. to learn. I need to pay attention, and then I need to process what you said so that I can put it into something. Right. As you said, make co- something complex simple, yep. digest enough so that I can ask a question that relates to what just happened. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that is a lost 
art. Yeah, it's interesting today. to say that. So yeah, if, the, I, if I found somebody who asked a good question, I'd hire them in a, in a heartbeat. That's right. Yeah, and, and <laughs> the, the, the difference between people that can ask great open-ended questions yeah. versus closed-ended questions yeah. and continue dialogue. Yeah, yeah. The yes, no. It's amazing. Know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that definitely shows a level. And, and I think back to what we look for in people, you know, of course, we look through that interview process. But then once somebody actually starts working, you know, you can tell somebody's work ethic very simply, right? Yeah. They're, they're there early, they're there late. You can't do that forever, and depending on season of life, that's not the only metric of success. But right. there is a little bit of just an old school, are yeah. you working hard? Are you working hard? But the way that then you start to see is how, how efficient are they? And that's the whole working hard versus working smart. And I think a huge part of that is when there's team meetings, when there's company trainings, when there's you know customer escalations, whatever, are they somebody that's volunteering, that's participating, that's driving, that's asking it. questions? Yep. And that just shows that they're engaged, they're proactive, and right, and moving from that reactive, I'll do what somebody tells me to with excellence, to I am mature enough to know how to initiate and to start my own work. That right there is a very big difference yep. and a very different yep. skill. That's a game changer. Orders, That's yeah. a game changer. I like how you mentioned though the difference between working hard and working smart. Yes. Because when I talk to young people, they only want to work smarter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always like, okay, so, so you can't work smarter yeah. until you've worked harder yeah. to begin with. And, and then he, once you've seen <clears throat> the process and once you've learned the process, now you can bring that idea in and, and say, well, here's how I can work smarter. Yes. Right? But the whole, you know, working smarter doesn't exclude working That's harder. That's right. Yeah. And it's the foundation. I mean, you know, perception is reality for so many people. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have this mentality of, like, I worked with a guy who his, like, his thing was that I've never taken a day of PTO. And he would always say that, I've never taken any time off. I work all the time. And at some point it's like, hey, well, you're gonna burn out. That's yeah. just not sustainable. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Like you're not getting any extra gold stars for never using your or you know, your okay, pre-approved company so, holiday. Yeah, but let's let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, because in, in certain cultures, yep. um, the working hard is the only evaluation that you have. Yes. Um, and so the the idea of understanding yeah. right that rest is important and refreshing yeah, who you are as sure. a person right taking a long-term yeah. perspective but yet still running hard in the short term yeah that's an important aspect i think I, I so think. yeah the way the way that i would describe it is anytime you start a new job you need to be prepared to actually start a new career you yes. need to start a new job and, yeah and that, that's good. that first whatever it is maybe it's two to three months you need to be prepared to say I'm going to prioritize this season of my life working. Mm -hmm. And you do that, you set this foundation for, this is somebody that's not afraid of hard work, right? Go. That's the core. Then it does become less about, are you working hard to are you efficient and are you producing the results and the outcomes that the company needs or that you need, whatever. Yeah. So I think that you have to have that. But then a great thing is one of the best things that we look for in people is, have they been promoted at one of their previous employers? If somebody is good enough to ascend through the ranks whenever they have all of the information on that person and have a first class seat to what their work actually looks like. Yes. That takes out so much of the guesswork versus what happens in our industry and in our career, you know, our, our world these days is people go to a job, they think it's awesome, they think the grass is gonna be greener, they get there, they don't like their boss, yep. they find yep. everything that's wrong with yep. it, they don't have the right snacks at the company office. They leave. <laughs> and you see this this, you know, this I guess lack of, of quality decision making. And a lot of it I think like you have to Maybe it's old school, but you have to figure out how to stick it out at a job 12 months. Okay. Of course, if you're miserable. You, you put that down in the right. notes, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. Right? But 
So what you're saying, okay, you're not saying, you know, you've got to stick out a job for 12 months if it's awful, terrible, yeah. right? It's nothing. What you're, what right. you're saying is go in with the mindset, yes, right, that I'm going to make this work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do what's necessary. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn, right? I'm going to put the time and energy in. Yeah. If for some reason, right, it doesn't work out, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the concept of be mature enough, Right to yeah. to be able to, to move on, sure. um, but I, I like that mentality of like, hey, I'm going to stick this thing out, and, yeah. and let's you make it. You have to come in with that work. mentality, and I think that again, if you're thinking about it competitively, mm -hmm. which is is a way that I think a lot of men are wired, then you have to have this framework of I want to work and collaborate well with these other people, but I want to prove that I'm I'm better, and some of that is just living long enough at that company to show that you can outlast the competition right. and make relationships and, make and relationships grow. And meaningful. Right. You put in there as well. It says think cross functionally. Yes. Yeah. Right. So what that's, what does that mean from your perspective? Yeah, that's that's a really good um, really good point. So as you know, I love reading. Uh, you and I have talked about different books in the past. There's one book that's called The Leadership Development Pipeline, and it talks about the different phases that you go through as a leader. And basically what it says is first you have to learn how to lead yourself, right? That's the foundation of being successful. Amen. Then you, yeah, so you have to have the ability yeah, yes, to kick okay. yourself and go get out the door. Yeah. Then you need to actually learn how to lead people. And as you go through, there's, there's seven different layers of, you know, functional leadership, cross-functional leadership, you know, um, business leadership. But what I found in my career is that whenever I started thinking not just about my function, but about how my role can be not just, just to make my silo as effective as possible, mm -hmm. but to think like I'm a shareholder or to think like I am an owner in the company and to have a broader perspective of how all of work plays together to make a company what it is. That is the different, that was the launching point for my career to go from a frontline leader of managing seven or eight people to then leading teams and leading geographies and okay, leading so big teams. So I think just to think broadly about question. how it pays what, what about the idea though that when I, when I start thinking about not just my silo, as mm -hmm. you said, but I start thinking about how it relates to everybody else. What about the idea of kind of you know staying in your lane yeah. and not telling other people how to do their job? Where, sure. Where, do, where sure. does that? Yeah, it's line a balance. Cross? Yeah, okay. I think I think you have to have the EQ to understand that there's you know things that you can control, right. and then there's things that matter. And the Venn diagram of where those two things <laughs> intersect is a small Perfect. is a small diagram. Small diagram. Yeah. So I think that you have to think about it that way. But you just, can't do everybody's job for them. Yeah, but also just doing the little things. Like I'll give you a, a really simple example. So most of my career has been in, in sales and trying to get new customers to adopt our technology. Okay. If I actually just understand how our post-sales teams and our support teams are gold, how they're compensated, what success looks like for them, that makes it to where then I can do a better job of setting them up to be successful. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I need to go be the person that does the deployment, that runs support, that runs success. But I can say, hey, I know that the, these teams really need these two things identified early, and that's going to make them way more able to be successful. And then they'll say, man, I love working with Will's team more than I like working with this other team because they're making our job easier. Yeah. And so it's just thinking that's about good. how that's it all good. plays in concert yeah. together. All right, go, go back to the ice thing. Um, you, yeah. you did the intelligence and the character. Intelligence and character. Those are really the main two. What Coachability was, and experience are okay. the other two. What does so, that look like? So, how, do, how do you see that in a person? Yeah, so so um, experience is, is literally just their, their, their prior work experience. Yep. So if you're hiring people that are um, just starting their career, then you may go back to see what extracurricular activities they were involved with in college and in high school, et cetera. Um, I'm mainly looking for what I would say the in-between steps of their resume, like the logic and the the decision-making that they made of why they went from one job to the other. Okay. Again, you can see were they running away from something? Were they following people? 
you know, do they want to change industries, et cetera? Yeah. And then the coachability, there's lots of different ways to test this. I mean, um, yeah, I think you can ask fundamentally, like, how have they acquired and learned new skills? Do they read? You know, what areas of their life are they trying to grow? Are they into fitness? And then you can actually do role plays of, okay, let's pretend that, you know, you were, you know, interviewing to be a teacher. Could we have you, you know, take something that you're passionate about and teach me? Yeah. Break it down, right? Yep. Let's actually put it to work. And so you can also give them small feedback along the way to see how they respond to say, hey, it, with, with my, in, in our conversation and dialogue, I thought you were great, but you came across a little monotone and I didn't think it, you closed the conversation strong with good questions. Yes. I want you to meet with my peer, and when you do that, focus on your energy levels and what questions you ask. There you go. And then you ask that person, hey, how was the conversation? Okay, I got two questions. How was the energy levels, and what questions did they ask? There you go. And it's just a matter of starting that journey early with people before you know you hire them and figure out what you actually got. I love it. <laughs> now, I did hear you say something about um, do they read, hmm. right? And from a man's perspective, I know yes. that a lot of men don't read. You've mentioned one book already. Is there something else dealing with... Um, developing mm. um, an understanding of the work ethic mm. that you would recommend for young guys to be reading? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, there's a, there's a number of different books that, um, that, that come to mind. The one that I would say that has been pretty impactful for me is uh, Vivid Vision. Okay. I think it's by Cameron Harold, or Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think that vision is really important, and I'm a big believer in goal setting. Uh, vivid vision is, I think, kind of a modern version of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Okay. And it gives you some different frameworks to say, okay, most people set goals in one way, but think about the mindset and the person you need to be to achieve those goals. So it breaks down goal oh, setting from like yeah. a being, doing, and then having outcomes. And then Atomic Habits, if you've never read that, man, that is a book that is incredibly powerful. It talks about the psychology of building discipline and building habits habit stacking, having short-term rewards. He uses an example like if you want to start going to the gym in the mornings before work, then of course setting your alarm is one way of doing it. Actually having your gym bag packed and by your bed ready to go, like making it easy for you to develop these habits. Yes. And then another one that I'd say is Extreme Ownership. Um, oh, yeah. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Yep. It's one of the... Uh, you know, kind of classic Navy SEAL books. Uh, no offense to men's in our arm, in, to the men in our armed service, but I heard somebody say, the Navy SEALs, they always go and like write books, write songs, write movies about what they do. And like the hardcore guys of like Delta Force and Army Green Berets, they don't talk about it. So <laughs> I always thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But um, yeah, extreme ownership is about you, if something fails, it's your fault. It's not yes. your team's fault. It's yeah. your fault. You're the one that's in control that's of the mission. One of the great lessons the military teaches yeah, you early exactly, on. Exactly. <laughs> Don't blame anybody else. That's right. It's your fault. You own it. That's good. All right. So um, that's good. I'll put those in the show notes. And, uh, Will, thanks for the time talking about uh, – we'll, we'll have to do another one on just work because uh, you've got a lot of wisdom and experience and, uh, and things that would be valuable, yeah. uh, not just for the guy starting out his job, but yeah. I think, you know, for any man who's working, um, these are mm -hmm. some fundamental things that Absolutely. I think are important. Um, to ask yourself, right, what's your motivation? Why are you working? Yeah. Um, I think it's great to have evaluation, other people to come alongside you and, and help you um, see those blind spots kind of, you know, as you go through life and things like that. So we'll, uh, we'll have to pick up the conversation right. another time. And, and surround and surround talk yourself about by hard workers. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, Check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.